topic today is how to survive in a sewer and how to stay intact in a whirlwind, in a tornado. Society today has become very, very complex, very, very stressful, very, very unhealthy and very, very dangerous. We're a long way removed from those old movies where you saw Mar and Par sitting on the front porch sipping lemonade. When the biggest event in their lives and the most exciting thing was the church picnic. Society has changed tremendously in 40 or 50 years. Is that true or not? Tremendous changes. I was brought up as a boy in Brisbane, in South Queensland, which is the northern part of Australia. Oh, it's about halfway up the coast on the eastern side. In a city by the name of Brisbane, on the Brisbane River. I spent much of my youth sitting on the banks of the river fishing. Or my mother and I constructed a large raft and she would sit on the bank and hold on to the rope and I would go out into the stream. That was exciting. The most stressful, no, the most exciting thing beyond that that ever happened to us was when my father said that on a Saturday night I could go to the store and buy ice cream. Not much either. <laughs> Just a little bit of ice cream each. Things have changed tremendously. There has been an enormous movement in culture. There has been a revolutionary transformation of the environment. When I was a boy, I never heard of people taking drugs. I remember as a teenager getting a book from the MV Society that stood for Missionary Volunteer Society. And the book was entitled battling the wolves of society and it spoke about people who actually took drugs and put needles in their arms. I thought, why would anybody be mad enough to do that? We live today in a culture of drugs and rudeness. There has come a general lowering of the common denominator. And people today, lots of people have become just very, very, very rude and aggressive. And this leads one step further to the step of violence where we even see it on our freeways with road rage. Do not think it is an American phenomenon. They have it today in Russia as well. Road rage. I have read interesting stories of Texans getting out when somebody cuts somebody off and taking out guns and shooting it out in Dallas. I think of the sign that I saw on a, the back of an automobile when I was, when Beverly and I were living in Arlington between Dallas and Fort Worth, and the sign said, keep honking, I'm reloading. <laughs> How does, you didn't get that? Let me say it again. On the back of a pickup, there was the sign that said, I will enunciate my words more plainly for your ears, which I think are not working too well. Keep honking, I'm reloading. <laughs> this is our society. We live in an age, my friend, when it is the norm for people to be dishonest. And then if you turn to the church for salvation, you may be in for some rude shocks. I've turned on television as I've been going through, surfing through the channels, and there I see the most amazing phenomena. I see a preacher who blows people over. And then he takes off his coat. And there are millions of people saying, Amen, hallelujah. This is kooky. 
This is kinky. This is twisted religion. People say, no, it's the Holy Spirit. No, it's not the Holy Spirit at all. It's stupidity. Show me anywhere in the Bible where a prophet took off his coat and twirled it around and knocked a bunch of people over with their legs sticking up in the air on the stage. So you've got to be very careful what you believe with the television evangelists and with many, many churches. And then I've watched on television, I was asked to go along to these meetings. They said, there's some mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit up there in Toronto, brother. You're getting left behind. The holy laugh. The holy laugh. When people laugh uncontrollably and roll over and people say this is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is not the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is hysteria. This is mass hysteria. This is religious charlatanism at its worst. It's fakey and it's fraudulent and it's worth nothing. But millions of people believe it. And all of this with road rage and all of these problems that are happening to people, it can lead to mental and religious instability. There has come into our society a callousness for human life that you and I would not have believed in 50 years ago. Did you know, now I know this is going to offend some people, but I happen to believe that that which is conceived and that which is born in a mother's womb is not a thing but a baby. I'm sorry if all of the, my friends will say, no, it's not a human being. It is only a thing and therefore it is expendable. But every year we manage to kill 1.4 million babies a year. Over four years we do as much as Hitler did during the Second World War and getting rid of the weak and the inconvenient. You say, but what is your biblical reason for this strong talk? My biblical reason is that the Bible says that before I was born and I was being formed in my mother's womb, God knew all about me. And if that is so, then the fetus is not a thing. It is a soul made in the image of God. But society has changed so much, you see. The Bible hasn't changed. Then I think of television itself. I'm glad that we have these devices that we can turn the stuff off. But the crudity, the violence, the sexual perversions, the big loudmouths who think that if they can say the F word loud enough, it conveys a type of sophistication. Crude, ignorant, barbaric ideas. Then there is rap culture. And where young men in their rap culture, supported by the great organizations, the great media organizations, the great magazines talk about women as bitches and talk about murder, killing women and raping women. What's happened to society? It has become a whirlwind. How does one survive? How does one bring up kids in this society? I ask you. And then I'm going to say something that my red-blooded Americans may take offense to. It is that America has a new God, and it is not Jehovah, it is sport. Where we glorify people who get girls pregnant and who spread AIDS. And some of these men who are the heroes of the young people, the footballers and the basketball players, they boast, hey, I have slept with 10,000 women. And I passed on AIDS. And so we put their names in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. What are we teaching people? What sort of twisted society have we become? And how does a person survive in this? Where little kids are taught that winning is not just important. They're told winning is not just important. Winning is everything. That's sick. That's sick. Winning is not everything. 
Being a good person is everything. Losing can be a good thing if you deserve to lose because it will teach you to do better the next time around. Is it any wonder that we have so many mental problems? What do they say today? Is it one in three? No, is it one in four? Or is it one in five of us who live in North America who suffers from a mental problem? Today we don't put them in hospitals. We let them loose upon the world. We see the disintegration of the family. We all face tremendous financial pressures. We hear of our friends who go through bankruptcy. We find that most of us at least have to work, 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 work. We are so much better off than people who lived 50 years ago because now the mother cannot stay home because how can she stay home when we have to work to pay for all of the things that we have? And then we face the various strains of in-laws and outlaws and everything else that comes with it. How does a person survive in this society? It is not easy to survive in American society. And if you think that this is normative, it is because you are not a part of the solution. It is because you are a part of the problem. Today, I want to tell you how you can survive in a sewer when people say that killing is not killing and murder is not murder. Why do you think, my friend, this young mother took the lives of five of her own children? I never heard of such a thing. Have you ever heard of things like this? Could you think of this happening 30, 40, or 50 years ago that a mother would kill her own little kids and she would drown them? I do not wish to sit in judgment upon her, but I think of the book or the statement, Mind at the End of its Tether, where people can no longer survive. And they do the most horrendous things because they can no longer cope. How can I cope? Would you please turn in your Bibles to Romans 12 and verse 1. Romans chapter 12. Now this verse points us in the right direction, but I need more than this verse as you're going to see. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible says, and it's quoted in this way in Philip's translation, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. The Bible says, be strong. The Bible says, don't be like the people on Hollywood Boulevard. Don't be like the people on television. Be strong. But how can I be strong? The Bible says, be pure. But how? Now, as the rest of the world knows, in California we have an energy crisis. That's our problem today. Not only do we have an energy crisis with rising gas prices, lack of electricity, but there is an energy crisis. The purpose of this meeting today, by the grace of God, is to show you how you can connect to the powerhouse and how you can survive and swim in a sewer and how you can stay in one piece, in a tornado, when the world is falling apart. Please come with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, written, we believe, by St. Paul. He says, for the word of God is living and active. For the word of God is living and active. For the word of God is living and active. 
sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The Bible says the word of God is powerful. Listen to me. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, said these words. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man can survive if he is connected to the word of God where we find the power. Would you come over here to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, the words of the great St. Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 15 and onwards. And how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I hold in my hands today the greatest gift that God has given to the human race, apart from our Lord. That is the Bible. It is the powerhouse. I want to tell you today how if you learn to use the Bible, you'll be able to survive in a sewer and to stay intact in a tornado. I want you to think of the power of God. Listen to me very carefully today because my heart is in this, this is in a few sermons. When God spoke at creation, this was the word of God. The Bible says God spoke and it was. God actually spoke and the universe appeared. When the children of Israel were going through the Red Sea, when they came up to the point of the Red Sea, God spoke and the Red Sea parted. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, it is through the power of the word of God. This book contains and is the word of God. Look at me. I've seen things that some of you have not seen. I've seen hundreds of thousands of atheists and communists and Marxists come to a knowledge of God and be saved, have their lives changed within a tremendously short period of time. As my friend Danny Shelton has said, the most amazing thing he said, you can see 10,000 people at 7 o'clock in a meeting. Unbelievers, 10,000 people and at 8 o'clock, 10,000 believers. Why? It is the power of the word of God. Is it the power of the speaker? No, no, no. It is the power of the Holy Spirit working through the word of God. Let me tell you a story how I became convinced about this. When Beverly and I were out of college a few years ago, we were sent to a little town in the outback of Australia. It was as outback as you can get. It was called Broken Hill. 700 miles from Sydney, out in the desert, surrounded by conditions like the Sahara Desert. Bitterly cold in winter, terribly hot in summer. I was an intern, just graduated from Avondale College, therefore I had all the answers. <laughs> when you meet a person who's got all the answers, it's because he's got practically none. <laughs> I was working with a wonderful evangelist and he said to me, now John, I will tell you how to win souls. I was like a sponge, I wanted to prove I wanted to soak it all in. I wanted to go out and conquer the world. He said, what you need to do is get a projector and get these film strips that are made by our brethren in Washington. They are beautiful. Beautiful pictures of Jesus and the texts go up on the screen. And what you do, you go and visit people and you say to them, 
Can I show you a film strip? I said, what about the Bible? Well, you don't need it. Because you've got it on the screen. And so, like a person, Don Quixote, ready to go forth and fight, I went forth. I had to buy a projector. We had no transport. So I would start work at, say, 9 in the morning, and I would start, I would be studying before then, but then I'd start to walk. And I would walk up to 20 miles a day, five days a week, carrying a projector. <laughs> and I would go into homes, and I'd say, I have something, oh, let's see the pictures. So I would have a picture show. We would turn out the lights. We would be in the dark. And we would look at lovely pictures of Jesus and the texts on the screen. There was a young man. I thought he was an old man. But he was a young man. His name was Jack Harris. He came to me and he said, look, you got no money, have you? I said, no, I haven't got a thing. Really, not much. Uh, Beverly was canvassing, selling books to get a deposit on our first car, a little Volkswagen. But that, we didn't get the deposit for another year. He said, I have a motorbike. I will let you have it. There's only one catch. It doesn't have first gear, second gear, third gear, but it does have fourth gear. I said, how do I get it to go? He said, it has no starter either. But he said, you have to run with it. And if you run hard enough and fast enough, then you spring on the bike and you let out the clutch and off you go. This is what I did. You've got to run almost 20 miles an hour. That is okay. I'm a, I believe in jogging. I am a good jogger. But it's difficult to run at 20 miles an hour with a projector around your neck. I had a projector with a leather band around my neck. As I ran, it was like a pendulum. When I'd get on the motorbike, I would be sailing along. I had to always travel fast. You know why? It had only one gear. So when I came to hills, I had to be going at a sufficient speed that I could whiz over the hill. I couldn't change gears. There were no gears to change. It was fully automatic. <laughs> and so I went forth to conquer the world with an elder's projector, a bunch of film strips, and I gave hundreds of Bible studies. No, I didn't. I showed hundreds of pictures, thousands of pictures. Not one person who watched the film strips gave his life to Christ. Not one. Some folks said to me, because they took mercy upon me, I was 22 years of age. I was 25 pounds lighter than I am now. I said... They said to me, can you just talk to us from the Bible? Oh, I said, this is not the way it's done. <laughs> I'm working for an evangelist who's told me how you're going to be saved. They said, come on the bike, but leave the projector behind. Of those people like the Dunstans and the Campbells, what a memory. The Dunstans and the Campbells they all were one to Christ and baptized because of the Bible. The power is not in the Word that's on the screen, in the dark. The power is when the lights are on and you can look people in the eye and you can show them the texts out of the Bible and they can see the Word of God for themselves. And so in Russia and other places, as soon as I can, I get the lights on because the devil does his deeds in the dark. I get the lights on and I get the Bibles out. And glory be to God, I've had the privilege of baptizing some 20,000 people around the world. The purpose of the Bible is not to make us geologists or scientists or surgeons or mathematicians or astronomers. The purpose of the Bible is to lead us to salvation.
That's the purpose of the Bible. When I read the Bible, I should not read the Bible critically to say, I'm going to find out something so I can belt this sister on the head or belt this brother on the head. I'm always scared of people who are always talking about the Bible, but never winning souls. Just a lot of hot air, a lot of hot air. We read the Bible to get home to heaven, not to become smart. Every day, my friend, must have a little Sabbath. Every day must have a little Sabbath in it, a sanctuary in time, a window on eternity. We live, you see, in, a, in an age when everything has to be delivered 10 minutes ago. A murder, murder mystery must be solved in 40 minutes. You've got 20 minutes for commercials, so the person's got to commit the murder. They've got to find out who done it. The person has to be found guilty. It's all got to be done in 40 minutes. Most people today can concentrate for 30 seconds. That's why our commercials are 30 seconds. I wonder if soon we're going to have in America the Church of the Golden Arches. And people are going to go along there and buy Mac prayers and Mac sermons and give Mac offerings and worship I said reverently, Mac Jesus. It's going to be fast. It's going to be cheap. But like the real thing, it's going to give you cancer and heart disease because it's bad nutrition. Two weeks ago when I came back from Russia, we read the parable of Jesus when he spoke about sowing the seed. Remember the story? The first was on what? Stony ground. On the roadside first. Then the second was on stony ground. Then the third, the seed was sown where there were lots of tares, lots of weeds. Remember that? You know, Jesus was so amazing, wasn't he? He describes us. And the fourth was where the seed got down deep. The seed doesn't get down deep in five minutes. It takes time for the seed to get down. And therefore, when I preached my last sermon, Elder Matico, over there just three weeks ago today, I said, my final word to you is very plain. Here it is, my beloved Ukrainian friends. My last word to you, if I never see you again, read your Bible every day. Read it every day. Don't read it with a computer either. Get your Bible out. Underline it. Now, what is the message of the Bible? Why should I read this book? The message of the Bible is first and foremost, I'm a child of God. I am made in the image of God. Every little child that is born is made in the image of God. George and Carla are here today. We pray earnestly for little Jessica. Why do they spend this money? I guess the bills now from the HMO, they're going to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars. Why spend it on a little baby? Because that baby is a child of God. And yet other people say, if you go back just a few hours, you can throw that baby in a waste paper basket. I don't understand it. I don't understand it, you see. I believe that we are children of God. I believe that also we are sinners and that we're fallen. When I read the Bible, and I've got to do it every day, and if you're not doing it every day, you've got a problem. And people have problems with you too. When I read the Bible, I read about David, I see myself in King David. I see his weaknesses. I see my weaknesses. I say, why did God put all this sort of junk in here? It's worse than a soapy. Because it's true. 
Then I read the book of Psalms and I read of David's depression and how he prays that God will come and help him and he repents of his sins. I see myself there too. Then I read about Abraham, man of faith, and I have some faith, but I read of how his faith failed on a number of occasions. I see myself. I read the writings of Peter. When I read about Peter, I see a man who denied his Lord, and I know that there but by the grace of God go I. I read the book of Romans, Romans 7, where a man cries out and says, Lord, be merciful to me. The things I want to do, I don't do. Things I don't want to do, I do. I see myself. The Bible is given to teach me to be distrustful of myself. Listen, very carefully, I'm going to tell you something. Would you like to know the root cause of every psychological disturbance that afflicts our minds? The root cause of every marital problem. The root cause of every disturbance in the government, every disturbance in the church. Would you like to know what it is? A lack of awareness of our own sinful nature. Our pride, our arrogance, our egos, which lead us to trust in the almighty self instead of the almighty God. The Bible is written to teach me what I am. It is written to teach me what God is, who God is. This is what the Bible is about. It's not a book on science or geology. It's a book about God. What is God like? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible is a revelation of God. One of the disciples said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be happy. Jesus said, I've been with you for years. You don't know what God's like? Look at me. If you want to know what God's like, don't look at me, but look at Jesus. The Bible is written to teach us great lessons, my need of continual repentance, and to realize that God is so good, and that he's willing to forgive me for my sins if I come in penitence and if I say I'm sorry. As you read the Bible on a daily basis, you discover that which people have not got anywhere in the world except those who do this. You discover peace and power to cope. There is a healing power in this book. The main cause, listen to this, for mental illness in the world and among Americans and Australians is a disconnection with God. When we are alienated from God, we become alienated from people around us and from our own minds. The Bible is the greatest healing force in the universe. It will heal mental problems. I have a new plan. I started this some time ago when I was in Australia. I've got a series of these notebooks. I filled up a couple of them so far. I've gone through the Gospel of John and I write down what God tells me in the book. I, I don't want you reading that. <laughs> I'm going through the book of Genesis. For hours yesterday, I was in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, thinking, writing it down, asking questions, finding answers. You've got to do it. Don't try to read the Bible when you're tired and cranky when you're frustrated and, and you're just pooped out. Take some time, at least 30 minutes, 60 minutes a day, and get a notebook and take a book in the Bible and read it through verse by verse and write down what God tells you. And you'll have power to cope. You will be 
a new and a different person and people will notice the difference. The Bible tells us that we are to make disciples. We are not being very successful. We are making so-called converts, not making disciples. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Do you know what a disciple is? Do you know what a disciple is? A disciple is a person who is disciplined for God. People say, but I'm saved by grace. You teach righteousness by faith. I don't have to do anything. Hey, you've missed the whole point, friend. You become an antinomian. This whole business of being saved is filled with discipline, whereby I say I'm going to spend today 30 to 60 minutes with the Bible and my journal, and it's going to be the same time every day. Nothing's going to stop it. We had a conversation out the front of the church today. I said, in this country, they have a new God, and that God is sport. The person said, oh, but can't we have both? I said, well, you can tell who is your God. How long do you spend reading the Bible, and how long do you spend watching sport? If you spend more time watching sport than you do reading the Bible, then you are an idolater. You are not a child of God. You are not a Christian. You are a child of the devil. It's the truth. It is the truth. Whatever gets my attention gets me. Jesus said, seek first the king. You say then, then there, how many are going to be saved? Well, Jesus said, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He is going to have a remnant. And if after all of this preaching in this church and other places for years, you're not reading your Bible every day, then my friend, what can I say to you but to say I almost despair for your souls. I would urge you to reform your lives if that is so. I want you to notice how we can read the Bible. Come to Psalm 37, would you? This is just an example. The book of Psalms is one of the greatest books ever written in the history of the world. Psalm 37 it's a wonderful, wonderful book because it's such a human book. It talks about a man in his struggles and in his doubts and in his hopes. Psalm 37. Look at these words. You can read them out loud with me. I'm reading from the NIV. I don't care what translation you use, but use something. Start at verse 1. Together. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cars like the noonday sun. Now listen. Listen, visualize this. Visualize this. You say, it's all gobbledygook. I can't take it in. I can't concentrate. That is because of your sin. When I cannot understand Scripture, it is because I'm resisting the Spirit of God. It is because of the blindness that is in my heart. I need to be reading this book with prayer. The reason so many of you don't read this book is because you are so unspiritual. We need to read it prayerfully. Oh God, I can't understand this, but interpret this to my dumb soul, please. Verse eight, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. Evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Oh, that I might have 
the tongue of an angel today to motivate you to discipleship. Oh, that the Spirit of God would so imbue me today with such powerful words that every person here will say, I will repent and I will read my Bible. I will write a journal. I will start with the Gospels. I will start with Genesis. And I will apply these words to myself. And you and I would then survive in any sewer. We would stay intact in any cyclone or tornado. Therefore, I tell you, Every Sabbath, there must be a little Sabbath in every day. Plan for it 30 to 60 minutes. If, you're spending, if you can't do that for God and yourself, don't expect to be saved. If you spend more than that time watching television, or more than that time watching sport, it shows that you are still in a carnal state unsaved. Therefore I'm saying today, let us repent and let us choose to do good. I'm talking about a balm and Gilead where every day we have a window on eternity and a sanctuary in time. I tell you how good it is. I read my Bible. I've, my doctors told me I should take my blood pressure. Why should I? Isn't he paid to do that? But he said to me, get it and take it so we see how you're going. I bought one six months ago. And last night I thought, I'll see how I'm going. <laughs> so I took it in the heat of the day. It was a little elevated. And I spent some time reading my Bible. And I took it. It was so low I thought I must have died. <laughs> there is a healing calming influence in the word. How to survive a little Sabbath every day. But now listen carefully. A big Sabbath once a week. Jesus said, remember, Jesus, yes, he said it. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And as Karl Barth is quoted as saying, when the holy day becomes the day of man, society and humanity wither away and the demons rule. I will open my heart to you. Except for an emergency or sickness, those things happen. Sickness or an emergency, to miss Going to church on the Sabbath is to commit spiritual suicide. Moody said, many a man like Samson has been shone of his power. His hair has been chopped off. His power has been chopped off because he never kept the Sabbath. So we need a little Sabbath every day when we read the scriptures. And a big Sabbath once a week when we spend the whole day with God. Look at Isaiah 58, verse 11 and onwards. Isaiah 58 and verse 11 and onwards. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings, if, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. 
the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Look at me. Our perversity and our insincerity is often shown when we stay away for church for lesser reasons than we would stay away for work. Oh, so-and-so is not at church today. Why is so Well, so-and-so is feeling tired. Mr. Employer, where is your employee on Monday? Oh, so-and-so is not at work today. So-and-so is tired. Fired. We treat God with less decency and honor than we treat our employers. What a bunch of flakes we are. I cannot go to church today. I have a headache. But I can go to a party on Saturday night. We laugh at it, but we're laughing at our hypocrisy and our perversity. We wonder why we are so sick spiritually. Oh, I cannot go to church today, but I can go and catch a plane and fly to the Bahamas or somewhere else on a vacation. And Jesus said, pray that your flight won't be in the winter on the Sabbath day. But I can do this. Why? Because basically we are shams and insincere and we do not know God. And the church and the knowledge of God is simply like a band-aid that we plaster over our gaping sores. And we want preachers who will not tell us the truth, but we want preachers who will say, you're okay, I'm okay. And you're going to heaven when preachers and congregation are going to hell. I say to you, on the authority of God's word, we need a little Sabbath every day, 60 minutes with God. And a big Sabbath once a week. Look at the words, would you please, again, in that chapter, verse 11, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well watered garden like a springs whose waters never never fail how to survive in a sewer i don't apologize for my description of today's society by the term sewer it is a sewer you turn on the television and the sewer comes out in the living room and we teach our children to worship at the one-eyed monster in the living room. We bring him our very best. We sacrifice our children. And we wonder, what shall we do? And when things go wrong, we say, oh God, what did we do wrong? And what did you do wrong? You and I can survive in the sewer and we can stay intact in the tornado if we have a little Sabbath every day and a big Sabbath once a week and get to know him who made us, who will teach us to know ourselves, then our salvation will be sure. My beloved friends, hear the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I invite you to kneel as we pray. Teach us, our Father, today to read our Bibles. And not just to read our Bibles, but to believe our Bibles. And not just to believe our Bibles, but to obey our Bibles. It's very easy, Lord. In this world in which we live, a world of insidious compromises and all the pressures and all the problems, to become part of the world system. Teach us, dear Father, to be nonconformists as far as the world is concerned, 
but to be conformists as far as your word is concerned. Bless these dear people. The fact that they are here today is an indication that they want to serve you. Bless them today. Might every person in this church say, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to keep the Sabbath. I'm going to be dinky-dye. I'm going to be genuine. Because Jesus loves me and I'm, I want to be saved. I want to get to heaven. I want to land safe on that other shore. I want to be faithful. How many today will say, now don't raise your hands unless you mean this, and I know you wouldn't, but how many will raise their hands and say, by God's grace, I want to be a disciple. I want to read my Bible every day. I want to be a Sabbath keeper. I want to be true to God. I want to be a disciple, not just a follower walking 20 miles behind. Can you raise your hand if you can say that? I want to be a disciple. I want to be more than a person who walks 50 yards behind, but I want to be a disciple. Dear Father, we're raising our hands today in a vow. Help us to keep it. Because it's easy to put up your hand in church, but it's hard to do it when you're tied out and the kids are driving you up the wall. But help us consciously today to decide that we're going to spend time with Jesus, we're going to read his word, and we're going to have a religion that isn't based upon convenience or emotion, but a religion that is based upon a thus saith the Lord. Bless these dear people whom I love. Put your arms about them, establish them and strengthen them, and give them courage and comfort and a firm resolution to be strong in the Lord and to be strong people. People who do not need to be carried except but by you, but people who will win others to Christ because they consider that's the most important work in the world. So bless them today and cover them with your grace and your righteousness. For Jesus' sake, amen.